0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, So Phyllis Tickle, uh, which is a great last name, but she uh, wrote this, uh, that every 500 years, give or take a decade or two, the dominant world culture goes through a time of enormous upheaval, a time in which essentially every part of it is reconfigured. Now, I think that her timeline's probably a little too neat and clean with the 500 mark, but I would agree that throughout history, if we go and we look at history on kind of a a plot graph, we would see lots of moments where things change in dramatic ways. I would call them kind of like crisis points. Where life as we know it starts to look different after that thing happened, and we can look at it like just look at it from a global scale. Uh, we won't even go in like individual countries and every and people groups, but like global. We go back to the 1900s. We think of World War II, World War I, uh, the Spanish flu, the progress that was made, the way that the world looked different after those events. You go back a little bit further, and you see uh, kind of the colonization of Asia and Africa and the Americas and the dramatic way that that changed how life was done throughout the world. You go back a little bit more, and things like uh, the reformations of the church That were spurred on in the 1500s by the printing press being created. And the way that having the written word all of a sudden changed so many things dramatically uh, throughout the world. And just before that... There was people like Christopher Columbus discovering everything for the first time, and all these new lands being found for the first time, uh, and the way that that changed it. Uh, And then you see, you know, even further back, the, the rise of different empires and the fall subsequently of other empires, and the dramatic changes in our world. And of course, there's lots and lots of other little blurbs on the plot graph, if we were looking at it, that show these places, these crisis points where culture, where society is changed in dramatic ways, that it never goes back. It just moves forward, right? And if we look at our world today, I would say what we've just gone through in the past couple of years has put us at one of those little plots on a graph, We've reached, we've gone through, or we're in, maybe even still, a crisis point, so to speak, within our culture, where things from 10 years ago, like, I thought about this, I don't even remember what it was, but there was something that I was talking about from 10 years ago, and I was like, we don't even do anything remotely like that anymore. Like, that's how much our world has changed that quickly over the past few years, if we look at it. And there's these crisis points where culture is not adjusted, but it's reconfigured, it's remade. You know, uh, this is the furthest I will ever go in talking about medical theory, because that is not my specialty. Uh, But Hippocrates, when he defined a medical crisis, he said that it was the point in the progression of a disease at which either the illness wins and the patient dies, or the illness loses and the patient dies recovers. Essentially, the crisis point occurs when the body has reached a point where there's only two options. You either die or you recover. There's no other options along the path. It's kind of a breaking point. And we could look at society and we could say that there's these crisis points where it's like either break or be remade. And we look at our world right now, and we can see this on a, on a macro scale uh, in, in big ways, where our world has been changed. You know, the, the pandemic led to extreme social and political unrest, to economic downturn, uh, to actual wars. In micro ways where it's led to lost jobs and and financial stress and struggles and health issues and unprocessed grief over the loss of people that were loved and uh, fear and anxiety over the social and economic uh, unrest and wars and rumors of wars. We could see where culture like crisis has forced us to bend, right? It's brought us to this like kind of fragile place. But good news, I'm not here this morning to depress you or to make you really scared. (laughs) That's not what I'm actually going for. You might be like, I feel like I'm watching CNN or Fox right now. Like, please stop. Uh, That's not actually my goal this morning. Because I think there's real hope in this. And here's why. Because throughout history, in the Bible and in just history of humanity, We've seen people at spots like this who have experienced something powerful and transformational, who have experienced revival in moments like this. There's something that happens when we reach this point where change can happen in dramatic ways. And so the question in times like this is, how are we going to respond to the pressure? With faith or with fear? The Bible gives examples of how to respond with faith. And one of those is found in the section we're going to read today in Jonah chapter three, where we get to talk about Nineveh and the only optimistic, happy part of the entire book, when God saves the people of Nineveh. And so that's where we're going to be. If you have your Bible and you want to open to that, but you see Nineveh has reached a crisis point. A place where continuing on the way that they were going was no longer an option because God has said that the way that you're living is so bad that I'm going to destroy you unless. Continuing on wasn't an option, so how are they going to respond? And the beautiful thing is that Nineveh, the people there, they respond by getting on their knees and asking God to come and to save them. And God always wants to save. That's the good news of the God that we serve. He always wants to save. And here's where my hope comes from. That this message leads to revival. That their crisis point leads to revival. And so my, my question, my hope this morning is, what if? What if in our crisis point, our, our little dot on the plot graph, God came and moved in a way that transformed, that completely changed the world as we know it. What if God brought revival in our time and in our day? Let's pray and ask for this to happen, and then we're going to jump into Jonah chapter 3. So pray with me. Jesus, we just thank you for your presence that's here with us. And Jesus, you said that we could ask for the Father to send workers to the field because the harvest is ready. And so we just ask that you'll ignite a renewed passion inside of us, your workers, your people, to bring the message of revival to our world, to those that we're around. May we preach salvation clearly to those that we engage with, through our words and through our lives so that they'll see you and that they'll know what it looks like to encounter a living God who's moving let us be missionaries in our communities in our towns in our neighborhoods that bring your good news to all people to every tribe and tongue in our world And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and revive us again, that the same way you did uh, in that Pentecost day where you came and you you brought your spirit and then change happened on a grand scale, that that'll happen in our communities among those that we know that will be propelled out of this building into the streets with the good news, the message of your love and of your salvation come Holy Spirit and move in powerful ways in our day and in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bible there, open up to Jonah chapter 3 and let's read this together. If you don't have Bibles, they're in the back too if you want one, or you can read on the screen. Here's what it says. Jonah 3 verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed. Uh, You like that? That's nice. This time he actually did it. In the Lord's command, he obeyed the Lord's command and he actually went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to actually see it all. And on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. What a message. What if I got up and said, 40 days from now, you're going to be destroyed and then walked off. That would be pretty startling, right? Uh, so Nineveh, let's talk about this for a second. Nineveh, a city so big that it took three days to see it all. Now, if you think about like ancient times and the fact that they didn't have cars or buses or trains or, or, or you know, a, boats that didn 't run on just ore power uh, or you know like it, it, to get around a city would require feet or an animal like that that 's not a quick route to get through, so a city that takes three days to walk through is enormous i don 't know if Nineveh was actually three days to walk through big maybe it was maybe it meant that Jonah went to the surrounding area as well, he hit all the suburbs up whatever the size may or may not have been. Here's what I think uh, the, the author is telling us about what Jonah does here, that for the first time in the book, he actually does what God tells him to do. First time for everything, right? And so he actually goes and he tells everybody this message. And can you imagine? He's like, he's going through, he's going through all the streets. Hey, in 40 days, you're gonna be destroyed. 40 days, you're gonna be destroyed. 40 days, you're destroyed. Hey, d- did you hear 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And then he's like, oh, let me get this house. Hey, 40 days. And then he goes through it like, 40 days? Excuse, did you did you catch that? 40 days. And then he, like, he goes and he tells every single person, like 40 days, you're going to, no, not you guys, but everybody else is going to get destroyed. Like at 40, and he goes and he tells everybody and he like peers in all their houses and looks in the meeting places and he gets like kind of creepy with it. And it's like all up in their space telling them, 40 days and they're going to be destroyed. He actually does his job this time. So let's talk about this message because it's kind of terrible. 40 days. Why 40? You know, in the Bible, there are these numbers that get mentioned over and over and over again. There's, uh, let's see, seven days God created, three days and three nights, uh, Jonah was in the whale, Jesus was in the tomb. 40 days... Noah was in the boat when it was raining. Forty days. Moses was on Mount Sinai when God gave him the, the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Forty days. Jesus was tempted in the desert. Forty days. And then Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Forty days. Interesting. I don't think that there's actually some like numerological magic to 40 days. I think... It's more of a writing thing that says, hey, how many days? 39? No. 41? No. 40 exactly. God must be getting ready to do something. It's a hint that God's getting ready to move, that he's doing something powerful on the scene. So 40 days, and then Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Think about this word, destroyed it 's the exact same word in Hebrew that 's used in Genesis when we 're told that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. the only community that we 're told that God looks at their wickedness, He gives them a second and a third and a fourth chance, and they still decide that they can 't change, and so He destroys the entire area. Can you imagine the feeling if you heard the same word that was connected to Sodom and Gomorrah attached to your town. The same exact word that's used for the only cities to be destroyed by God is attached to Hopkinton or Holliston or Westboro. Can you imagine what that would like bring up inside of you? It'd be terrifying. Like, I'm in that category? Like, this is bad news. What do I do? How do I change? So that word was used in this message. But the interesting thing is, is that that same word in Hebrew has actually two meanings. It can mean like fire rains down from heaven, everybody dies. We understand that, that usage. The other thing that it can mean though, is really interesting because it can mean to turn around or transform. And so Jonah's going around saying, hey, Nineveh, you have two options. You can be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, or you can turn around and be transformed. Which is it going to be? Which are you going to choose? Destruction or transformation? Which way are you going to go? And then let's look at verse five and see what they choose the people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. From the greatest to the least. I mean, this sort of like, Every single person doing it is unprecedented. It's unheard of. It would only be classified under revival. That's the only word to, cut, to use for that sort of spiritual transformation on a massive everybody scale. Everyone changed. And I love what Mark Sayers wrote about uh, kind of patterns of revival. He says, we've learned from history that renewal occurs when people get to the end of themselves. For renewal or revival to come, we must reach the point where we make a choice to no longer tolerate our current state of being. The Ninevites reached a point where they knew that they couldn't tolerate to keep living and doing the same things that they were living and that they were doing. Something had to change. The status quo was no longer an option because it was going to lead to destruction. I mean, they, it's not like they had a choice in this, really. You know, I, well, I guess they could, but it wasn't going anywhere good. They knew where that was going to lead, and so they had to change the way that they were living, otherwise destruction was coming. And in that place, they decided to ask God to move. And I think in our current crisis point, if we want to see revival happen in our world, to see God come and move in this sort of a grand scale way, we need to be aware of the patterns of revival, the way God moves in our world. And so I want to talk about some of these. You know, the first thing is what I just talked about, that a group of people decide that it's time to change, that they have to change, that there's no continuing on the path that they're still on. They reach the end of themselves and something happens and they recognize a need for God. Can you relate to being in a place where you look around and you're like, something has to change? Have you ever felt that internally? Have you ever felt that when you look around, you're like, something has got to change. We're pulling too far away from God and what God's message is for our world. And at that moment, God always sends somebody with a message. You know, he sent Jonah to Nineveh, the worst evangelist of all time. But he sent Jonah still. He sends Peter and the disciples in Acts chapter 2 to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people come to know Jesus in one day. That's pretty amazing. In the the First Great Awakening in the U.S. and in England, he sent people like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and and John Wesley. In the Second Great Awakening, he sent people like Charles Finney. In 1904 and 1905, in the country of Wales, England, he sent somebody named Evan Roberts, and revival happened. In 1906, uh, to the inner city part of Los Angeles, back in the day, to Azusa Street, he sent a man named William Seymour, a shocking person, to lead a revival. In that time. At other times, he sent Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Booth and Billy Graham. All of these people and many, many more as messengers with the message of God saves. But here's the beautiful thing none of these people were famous until God moved. You may have heard their names, but it's only because God did something powerful. They weren't famous ahead of time, they wouldn't have been famous if God wouldn't have moved. But because God moved, we know them because he did something powerful and transformational. And what I want us to get with that is God doesn't send famous people, he sends willing people. Are we willing? Not do we have a big enough Instagram or TikTok platform. Are we willing to go? Are we willing? You know, I didn't pay Ross to give Alpha a blurb this morning, but he did a good job. Uh, And I want to invite us this fall to be people with a message. This is an easy way to go and to share the message of God's salvation with somebody around. You don't even have to tell them everything. Just tell them to come on Sunday nights here to the church and we'll give them good food. Like that's a pretty easy invite. But if you know people that are, that are curious, that are questioning, that are interested in God, but maybe Sunday morning feels a little too intimidating, and they want it on a smaller scale, uh, if you yourself fit into that category, Alpha would be an awesome place to start and an awesome thing to invite people into. It's a place to be able to, to learn about Jesus, to ask questions, and to make friends, to get to know people, uh, and to dig in in community in that way. And it's helped literally thousands of people to know Jesus. And so I want us to watch a video of somebody whose life was changed through Alpha. Uh, And so if you'll turn to the screen. When we get here, everything was a mess
1: for us. I start like uh, suffering a lot of depression. And I told a lot of like uh, taking my life. I leave my family for a couple of months. I started drinking a lot of pills. I remember it was like 22 pills per day, suffering more than 10 panic attacks per day. Everybody in my family was like falling apart, my daughter, my son, my wife. The family was like a mess.
2: My parents coming here, it actually felt quite difficult because it almost like the roles shifted. They didn't know the language, they were immigrants. I was in a very unhealthy place myself and then I had to kind of step up and be almost like their mom. Through that also seeing my dad go from being my hero to being a broken person. And he would say things like, I hate you guys. I don't want to be with you.
1: A friend of mine, he invited me to the church. At that point, I didn't go to any church. I didn't believe in God. I just was like lost. And I went to the church on Sunday, and I hear about Alpha. And this friend uh, invited me to Alpha the, next, the following Monday, and we came to Alpha together. It was a fantastic experience. And when I came to Alpha, everything changed in my life.
2: I clearly remember the day that my dad came home and said, I- I've been doing this thing called Alpha. And I thought, like, that's crazy. Like, my dad is doing something at a church. I couldn't deny the fact that my dad had changed so radically. I remember when he asked me to come to Alpha, he said, you'll meet people that will be healthy and good for you. And when he said that, I kind of thought, yeah, that's what I need. I just, I need good friends. I need healthy friends. The first night, I just remember being like, they're all overly friendly, but they're so good. Like, if this is true, like, I'm never leaving this place. During the last talk, I just remember saying, like, okay, God, I have all this stuff that I'm doing. I just want you to take it all away. I don't want it anymore. I just want to follow you. I just want to do everything I can to please you and to bring people to know you. And I just... Felt this this strength that I never had before to quit drinking, and then shortly after the day after I stopped smoking, and the weekend after I got baptized.
1: I knew that feeling, and I, and I was so happy because she got it. She she got the the idea. she was extremely happy. Is the happiness that you're never gonna see before.
2: I'm super thankful that you invited me to offer that. Thank you. <laughs> it changed my life, it like, like, like it changed everything for me. Thank you.
1: Was <laughs> it <wasn't> me? <laughs>
0: he's a desperate man in a desperate spot and somebody offered him jesus uh that's the best gift we could ever give anybody so i just want to encourage you if you have somebody maybe you're watching that and you're thinking of somebody invite them to church invite them to alpha invite them to meet jesus Uh, it will change everything so what's the next thing in revival You know, it's kind of like what they mentioned. The message just cuts to the hearts of those who are hearing it. And I think it's a simple equation, really. It's truth plus opportunity. The truth of who Jesus is plus somebody in a position where they want to meet Jesus, where they're, they're ready, where they're ready to hear the good news of who Jesus is. And in Acts 20... Paul shows us what this looks like. He, he tells the Ephesians about what he did when he came to them. He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, which is the truth, either publicly or in your homes, which is opportunity. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. So here it is. He tells us what the truth is. The necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus truth plus opportunity. When those two things meet, it leads people on a path to repentance. And you see, you can't have revival without having repentance. Those two are connected. They're necessary uh, companions. They cannot be separated. If you're going to have revival, you're going to have massive repentance changing transformationally in how we live our lives. Without repentance, revival can't come. And then the last thing that we need to acknowledge when we talk about revival is that only God saves. That's kind of the, the frustrating and the amazing thing of it all. Is that like, we can't make it happen. I could tell you all the right things, but if God's not speaking directly to your heart, well, you know, that's all that it is. God's the one who saves. But the good news in that is that God's saving means that he goes to whatever extent that he needs to go to make sure that you hear the good news of his love for you. And I love hearing stories of this, stories of people who are saved in like extraordinary ways. You know, I I heard a story recently of an elderly Afghan woman who had recently been resettled in Athens. And so she was there by herself because her family was still in Afghanistan and they hadn't uh, made the trip over yet. And so she would go pretty regularly to this community center uh, to get support. And when she was there, there was a pastor who worked there, and he would come and offer to pray with her and, and to connect with her. And she would just kind of laugh him off and, you know, push him away. I mean, she was from a Muslim country. She was presumably Muslim. Like, it just wasn't. She wasn't looking for a new religion. Like, that wasn't what she was uh, asking for at that point. And so she would laugh him off. And then finally he said to her, well, what if God revealed himself to you and and like shared the truth with you, would you follow him? And she just laughed and she was like, nonsense question. You know, like it doesn't even matter because it's not gonna happen. A couple weeks later, she's walking to the community center. She gets there and the door's locked. Nobody's there. So she sits down on the bench outside of it. And as she's sitting there resting to, to go back home, she sees this bright light that fills the entire space that she's in. And she sees a shadow, not just her shadow, but another person's shadow over top of her. And she hears a voice speaking in her language saying, my daughter, my daughter, the door is open for you, come. And she laughs and she goes, the door's closed. I just tried to open it. And the voice replies, I'm the son of God, Jesus. The door is open for you, my daughter. I am the door. And then the light goes away and she's just left there weeping she goes back sometime in the next few days talks to that pastor (laughs) says you're never going to believe what happened to me and she has this conversation with him where she says you know you you encouraged me to pray for god to actually come and speak to me and i thought it was blasphemy because god doesn't do that he doesn't show up in the flesh but jesus is actually alive And then she took a Bible and she went and told everybody that she knew the good news of a God who's actually living and spoke to her clearly. The ways that God chooses to save are astonishing. He doesn't let anything stop him. If he wants somebody to come to know him, he's going to break through all the walls to lay it out in front of us. Now we can choose to say no, but he's going to keep coming and he's going to keep giving us opportunity after opportunity and after opportunity to meet him and to encounter him. So who are we to say no when he asks us to go? Let's look at what happens in the end of Jonah chapter three, verse six. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his noble sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, which that's a funny picture like like donkeys and sackcloth or something i don't know what that means but and everyone must pray earnestly to god they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence who can tell perhaps even yet god will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us who can tell what we're seeing here is personal renewal that is affecting culture that's affecting society on the grand scale of revival now i'm not talking about politics this isn't a politician meeting jesus and then enacting rules and laws that make it impossible to do anything else this is somebody encountering jesus being changed all the way through and the spiritual transformation that goes out then changes an entire society that what's going on here. Who knows? Perhaps God will move. And then God does it. The most hope-filled verse in the entire book is verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. He changed his mind beautiful george campbell morgan once said that jesus didn't come to persuade god to love but to show us that god never ceased to love he didn't come to make god change his mind he came to make me change my mind and to tell me that when i turn back to god god is far more than halfway to meet me friends this is the good news the hope that's found in the story of jonah that god wants to save us that he's working to do that very thing Jesus came he lived he died he rose again so that we could be in relationship with him so we could be reconciled to him and so the question for us this morning is will we respond like the Ninevites did will we turn and in repentance say God come and save us will we ask him to move in our point of crisis in our world If you're tired of the bending of the pressure, you're in a good spot for revival to come. If you realize that the way that you're living is no longer able to continue, that you've reached the end of it and it has to stop, then you're in a good place for revival to come to your life because Jesus came to save us. That was what he came for, to show us the way to him. And so the question for us is, are we willing to move towards Jesus? Are we willing to move towards Jesus? You know, I think any talk of revival without an opportunity to practice repentance and confession would honestly be missing the mark a little bit. And so before we go to worship, I want us to take some time right here and right now and just pray a simple prayer of repentance, giving to Jesus the things that weigh on us the ways that we've fallen short, the patterns of life that we've lived into that we need to stop and accepting the forgiveness and the love that he wants to bring. So I just want to invite you, if you want to read along the prayers on the screen or if you just want to uh, kind of close your eyes and do business with Jesus, it's up to you. But take this time and let's go before the throne of Jesus together. So let's pray. Almighty God, patient and always good, I confess to you with my whole heart my neglect and forgetfulness of what you have commanded. My sin and what I have done, thought, and said. If that brings anything to your mind, just take a moment and admit it. Confess it to Jesus right now. The hurts that I've chosen to do and the good that I've chosen not to do. Again, if there's anything that comes to mind, just go ahead and confess it to Jesus. Father, forgive me for I've sinned against you and raise me to newness of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, here's the good news. Let the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins. Heal and strengthen us by his spirit and raise us to new life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that you're a God who forgives, that you're a God who saves, and that you're a God who is alive and who is actively moving in our world today. And so with that, we say, come Holy Spirit, fill us, fill this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.